There's this uh, interesting mental phenomena that astronauts go, go through when they go into space for the first time. It's called the overview effect. The overview effect is this, is this cognitive shift in perception that happens as, as astronauts enter space for the first time. And it often happens as they sort of look back. And what happens is they suddenly see this, this planet floating and they see all of space around it. And, and they're suddenly overwhelmed with emotion for what the planet really is. You see, they know that there's like 8 billion people. They know that there's different countries. They know that there's rich people. They know that there's people who are not rich. They know that there's uh, different races, different religions. They know all that sort of stuff. They know that there's all kinds of life. There's war. There's peace. There's all kinds of stuff going on. They know that. They understand that. But there's something that happens to these astronauts as they, as they enter space and they look back and they see this thing and the reality of it hits them in a way that they never quite knew before. Has anyone heard of this thing before? The overview effect? When astronauts describe it, they talk about being completely overwhelmed and, and just experiencing this, this crazy rush of emotions. And it shifts something inside of them. It's like, it's like from that moment on, onwards, they're, they're never the same. And I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. I, I heard about the overview effect on a podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about it. And I was thinking how that, that seems to be something that, that needs to happen with faith. And when you talk to people who have, who have lived a long uh, faith journey, uh, who have been Christian for a long time, have been pursuing God for a long time, they have these moments in their life, um, sometimes a singular moment, sometimes many times. They have these moments where they talk about experiencing God in a, in a significant or profound way, in a way that they, that they had never, never had before. And suddenly it was like they, they knew of God, they knew the story of God, they had been pursuing Jesus, they felt like they were a disciple and a follower of Jesus, but it was like in this moment... God suddenly became bigger. The invitation became bigger. The call became bigger. And they found themselves overwhelmed with maybe a sense of, of God's heart for the poor. Maybe a sense of God's love for his creation. Maybe a sense of God's desire to be in relationship with them personally. Maybe there was an understanding of, of God as sort of like a big, sovereign, faraway God in the distance. Someone that was sort of something to be feared and, and some sort of judge. And suddenly it was revealed to them that God was, was a friend. Or some people who have experienced God as friends suddenly began to see the majesty and the sovereignty of God in new light. And that began to take meaning. And there's a sense of overwhelming that seems to happen. And I feel like this is a shift that is actually this, this sort of sense of being overwhelmed by God, this, this sort of cognitive shift or spiritual shift is actually something that needs to take place in our lives. And I would probably contend that it's something that needs to take place more than once. But I've been thinking about it so much over this last few weeks, and it seems really evident to me that this is actually something that happens throughout the Scriptures. Right? There are so many stories of, of biblical characters, um, of important figures within the biblical narrative, experiencing something like this. They would start in one place, they would have some sort of encounter with God, and they would move towards something different. Does that sound like something familiar, like you might have seen in the Scriptures before? I just want to highlight a few of them. In Genesis 28, verses 16 to 22, it talks about Jacob. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Man, Jacob was a bit of a snake, 
right? He was always just trying to get what his brother had. He was trying to, you know, he was trying to steal the birthright. He was a bit, he was a little bit sneaky. If you know that story, he ended up having to run away from home, right? He was just a bit of a snake. And suddenly he has this encounter in his life while he's on the run, right? And he goes, oh, surely God was here all along. He has this experience in a dream and suddenly something shifts. Man, in the character of Jacob, if, you, if you've read this story, it, it shifts, and suddenly he's moving towards becoming the nation of Israel. The, you know, it's, it's an incredible shift in story. There's an encounter and a sense of awe and reverence that takes place that shifts him and moves him. Another example uh, in the story of Job. You know, Job was this man, uh, if you're not too familiar with it, there's the story and essentially God and the, and, and the devil have this wager over this man's life. And this, and this man, Job, goes through incredible suffering and somehow, almost paradoxically, despite the fact that he's going through all of this horrific stuff, he ends up pressing into God more, choosing to trust more. And he says things like this in Job 26, 14. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? It's like, you know, we're just getting it. It's almost like he's saying we're only getting a glimpse of God. We're only, we're only understanding a tiny fraction of it, but man, there is something more powerful at play. And that's like a very insightful thing for someone who is just suffering the way that he is suffering. There's, a, there's some sort of shift that takes place as he's going through this experience. We look to the Psalms. We see, we see David has moments like this as he, as he considers the bigness of God. Psalm 8, 3 to 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. So looking at the power of God and considering the power of God. When I look at the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You know, this is not a negative thing. This is, this is David being in awe of what God is up to. Oh my goodness, you can create... The, the earth, the moon, and the stars, you know, you can create this massive expanse and yet you are still longing to have relationship with humanity? Like this is a moment of awe for David. And it shifts something inside of him. You see the whole tone of the Psalms just shift and towards this thing of awe and reverence. As, they, as David considers uh, who God is. And we see the same thing. This happens all through the Old Testament. And then we see it even roll over into the New Testament as well. We see it in the Gospels. In Luke 8.25, when Jesus is on the water with his disciples, and, uh, and there's a storm going on around him, and Jesus stands up in the boat, and he, and he stills the storm. It says that the disciples looked at what happened with fear and amazement. It's like in that moment, it's like, yeah, they'd seen things. They'd seen some miracles. They'd seen Jesus do some stuff. But it's like, again, here's another moment. It's like, oh my goodness, there's something happening here. Like God is doing something. Oh, oh, the story just became bigger. God just became bigger. And fear and amazement was their response. There is this awe that comes upon them. We see it again, Acts 2, 42 to 47, like one, of, like one of my favorite verses that sort of celebrates Christian community and talks about what life looks like when people gather and when they, when they share bread and when they open up the doors to each other and when they learn together. And what's interesting is it talks about this beautiful sort of, you know, learning from one another and sharing and having all things in common. And it says, and awe came upon every soul. Like the way that these people lived out their faith journey together shifted something inside of them individually. 
awe came upon every soul. And it's almost like it was about to say, and life will never be the same. Right? There is a cognitive shift that takes place. We see it in Paul, you know, later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. You know, Paul was someone who like genuinely loved God. He was super passionate about his faith. He had studied the scriptures, but he was intensely religious. And he's walking to Damascus intent on persecuting Christians. And he has this encounter with Jesus, right? And it talks about the scales falling from his eyes. Like that is like, like whether, you, whether you read that as like literal or figurative, it's like there's this moment of awakening as awe comes upon Paul as he has this revelation of who Jesus is and his life will never be the same again. Awe is this thing that needs to happen. There, ha- there has to be these moments of, of overview effect if, we're to, if we are to discover the fullness of God's story, our working and our lives. You see, awe plays a central role in both the relational and spiritual experience. These stories that we're talking about, that we're pulling out of scriptures, and many more, right? It's, these are not the only ones. Um, they all suggest that awe has a key function in promoting some kind of commitment to a new worldview or lifestyle. You know, there's the story of Jesus when a woman is brought before him and, 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 and uh, everyone says, hey, she's an adulterer. She should be stoned. We don't need that up. <laughs> um, she's, a, she's, she's accused of being an adulterer. And under that system, they were like, hey, she needs to be stoned to death. And there's this incredible sort of dialogue that happens within the community. And eventually, eventually it works out that she's not stoned to death. Everyone walks away. And it's fine, Jesus' final words to this woman are, you know, go and sin no more. Man, and I've often thought about that verse. We don't know what happens. But man, I'm convinced that, that an encounter with the grace of God, with the grace, the grace of Jesus in that moment, you kind of get the sense that that woman's life was never the same again. Right? And like there was this thing that was supposed to happen to her. And it didn't. And she received this thing. And suddenly there's a fresh revelation of grace and love and who God is and what he longs for. And you get the sense that her life was never the same again. You guys with me? It seems like awe plays this role in shifting the way people see the world and shifting the way that they engage with the world and find their place in the world. And it's interesting to me because this awe seems to happen in response to the invitation of God, carrying on a little bit from that sense of invitation last week. You know, Jesus himself seemed to model a boundless life of faith, love, inclusion. And he seems to extend this radical call to his followers that you too are called to live in this way, to live in this rhythm and to encounter God in this rhythm. And it seems, um, you know, when you look at Jesus, it seems that he lived out of reverence to God and out of a deep sense of relationship and even awe himself before God. And awe is the key that seems to unlock the pathway to a faith without boundaries. Awe seems like some kind of critical starting point. So through awe, I mean, I want to propose this this evening, is that it is through awe that we are called to discover a life of passion and purpose as we live out of and embody a new worldview. These are the sorts of experiences we need to look for. 
to be aware of. To, and it's, it's, like, it's like it says in Job, it's a gentle whisper. It's not this like intense thunder. But there are these moments where the whisper of, of God is there for us to listen to, to pay attention to. And it's like this gentle invitation that calls us towards embodying and being about something new. To be able to see the work of God and the love of God and the grace of God in a new way, in a new light, and to begin to embody that and live that out in the world around us. Throughout all, we find ourselves longing to pursue the things of God with a newfound sense of passion and purpose. What am I talking about when I talk about passion? When I talk about a newfound sense of passion, that my understanding of passion is it is that which we are willing to give something of ourselves for. Right? A more extreme version would be passion is that which we are willing to die for. Right? But there is this sense of sacrifice that comes with it. Like, what is your passion? Like, is the story that we're invited to, does it feel like, like there's enough in it? Like there's something profound enough, meaningful enough in it that you would want to give something of yourself to it? It's like, man, I'd, man, I'd go to the grave for that. I'd sell out for that. I'd quit my job for that. I'd be about that. You know, there's something about the call of Jesus that seems to do that. You know, we spoke about that last week. Like this was, the, this was the, the thing that the disciples did was it suddenly became a passion. No, I'll leave my job. I'll leave my security. I'll leave the things I'm about. And I will move towards that which you have in store for me. Man, I feel passionate about that. I feel passionate enough that this love for other people and for the world and the story of redemption is real enough that I will give something, that I'm willing for it to cost me something. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about passion. And passion springs from a sense of awe, from having those little aha moments. And what am I talking about when I talk about purpose? Well, purpose is that sense of conviction, that thing inside of us that says, this carries meaning. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I'm someone who, who uh, thinks a lot about meaning. Like I always have this desire that, okay, whatever I do, I want it to, I want it to have a sense of like contributing to something bigger than myself. But, but I'd like to do something that, that, that when, I, when I eventually die and people are standing at my funeral, it's like I hope they would say, well, well the things he did was meaningful. You know, it wasn't just about, you know, getting the latest car or getting the biggest house or anything like that. But it's like, man, the way he was a husband and a father and a pastor and a, and a whatever. It's like, it's like he did those things and, and it was meaningful, the way, he, the way he had conversations with people. You know, it's like those are the things that I would hope people would say about me. But this idea of purpose, it's like if, if you've experienced that or if there's been that sort of overview effect, that, that sense of of like, oh my goodness, like God is doing something here. If, if we've encountered that, if we've looked for that, if we've moved towards those sorts of things, then suddenly it becomes so much easier to identify purpose. And so awe unlocks a sense of passion and purpose. And I want to suggest that that is important for us. Like we need to be looking for opportunities to encounter the presence of God. We need to be looking for the movement of the Holy Spirit. Those are things we need to be praying for. Those are things we should be looking for in times of worship. I'm not saying that you just manufacture them. That's not what I'm talking about. You can't, you can't manufacture awe. That's not really how it works. But it's sort of like tuning a radio into the right signal. You know, did anyone use those old radios with like the, the turning dials on the side and the sliding scales? Right, that's not too much of an old reference, I hope. Right, because nowadays we just press scan and it just goes to the next channel. But you know, 
I remember like my first radio was like a hand-me-down and, you know, just turning this little dial on the side and you're trying to tune into the right thing. It's like, that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to tune in to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We're looking to tune in to the gentle whisper of God. And potentially in that space when we tune in, it's like we just might hear something or feel something or receive some sort of, some sort of deep thought that, that suddenly changes our perspective. And it's like suddenly all the things we knew, it's like we just see them in a new light. It's like I always knew, God, that you loved every person on this planet, but now I know that you love every person on this planet. You know what I'm talking about? You guys with me a little bit? I hope I'm not wandering into like some kind of crazy ter- territory, but it seems important to me. And so this sense of awe is a it's a temporal and it's a temporary experience. Like these things are just fleeting. We don't always have them. There, are, you know, sometimes people sustain themselves on an encounter with God for years and years and years. Some people go, man, I haven't felt God for like 20 years. You know, the interesting thing, if you've ever read the story of Mother Teresa, she says, you know, the last time she heard from God was when he told her to start her ministry, and then she never heard from him again. She never had another encounter, but she just stayed faithful to this call, right? Like, that's a, that's a crazy thing. But sometimes we, can have them, sometimes we can have them regularly, right? Sometimes they're things that can, that can pop up from time to time. Some people just seem to be like that. They just seem to have these encounters. There's no right or wrong way of experiencing or encountering God, but they are the sorts of things we need to look for. And we need to recognize that they're not, they're not the bread and butter. They're not what it's about, but they certainly do something in us and it's important for us to be able to look for them. And so if they're not the bread and butter, if they're not the main and the plain, then we need to make sure that we balance those sorts of ex- experiences and the things we're looking for out with something else. We need to be able to maintain, uh, maintain a sense of commitment to the cause. It's like if God stirs something and sparks something inside of us and we begin to move towards that, there has to be something that maintains and sustains us along the way, which is why I want to propose that, that the uh, temporal experience of God, which is awe, uh, needs to be balanced with the intention intentional experience of God, which is our rhythms and religious practices. This is why something like communion, which we, you know, we take every few weeks or so here, is an important rhythm. It's something that connects us with the story again. That's why it's important to gather and do fellowship, because it connects us with God's call towards community and towards the things that He's doing. Um, it's important for us to worship, because it connects us some, in some way um, with, uh, with the beauty and the wonder and the majesty Right? It's why we need to pray because it allows us to look for the movement of the Holy Spirit, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of people around us and the world around us. It's important for us to develop and know these sorts of rhythms. I want to tell you a little story. When I was, um, when I was 13 years old, we, my family went and lived in Australia for a little while. And, um, and at that time, I was super into golf, right? Like I was, I was a real bit, and I know this is like a golf story, and like some people are not that into it, but just like bear with me because there's a point, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, there was a young guy in Australia called Aaron Badley. Once again, I know you guys won't care, but he was a big deal to me, right? He was 18 years old, and so I was 13 years old. He was five years older than me, and he had, he had just, the year before, as a 17-year-old, won the Australian Open. And so as like a young kid who was super into golf, like I looked up to this like sort of cool young Australian dude, Aaron Badley. And, and I got to go to a tournament that was near our house in Sydney and I got to watch Aaron Badley pr- like play. And, um, and I was in total awe of him. 
you know, I just remember standing there because I knew, because like people just sort of follow these particular golfers around in crowds and I knew he was going to be coming up to this one hole. And so I stood, my dad and I just stood right sort of center, like right behind where, where that tee was. And we watched like 10 or 11 groups come through. And finally, Aaron Baddeley's group stood there and I was just like mesmerized by like this, this guy that I idolized, you know? And after that day, like I got so into golf and I like... I always was just telling my parents, like, let me go play. Like, we would, there was, like, a driving range nearby. And I started to get, like, a lot better. And then we moved back to New Zealand. And I just, like, sort of disconnected with it. And I just was into school, into some other sports. But I just stopped playing. And I, I didn't have that, like, intensity anymore. You see, sort of seeing my, seeing my idol, this thing that I'd looked up to, had sparked something inside of me, and I was like, man, I want to do that. I want to be like that. And suddenly, it's, you know, it changed the way that I lived. As like a 13-year-old, I was like, man, I was a golfer, and I was going to be a golfer. Has anyone experienced something similar? I'm obviously not golf, but like, you've had those moments, right, where you've been inspired by something, maybe, maybe by a musician, um, or by another sports person, or by an artist. You've seen the work of someone else. You've seen someone who's an expert at something. You've seen someone who's, a, who's about something wonderful, and you want to be about that, and suddenly you get super invested in it, right? And then have you also had those moments where you've kind of drifted away from that thing as that, as that moment or that encounter becomes something of a, of a distant memory? You know, as you become further away from it, it sort of just becomes this thing that you leave behind. Man, it's a rough suggestion, but I think that that's some, sometimes that's something that happens with our faith. It's certainly something that happens with our faith, but we tend to have these moments of encounter with God, and we kind of get super excited about it. And we're like, man, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to you know, drive for the food bank, and I'm going to start this thing. And then we get super excited about it, and then it just sort of, you know, like, oh, I can't do it this week because I've got this thing on. And then we just slowly sort of drift off and it just becomes this thing that just kind of happens on the side. And then we just get comfortable. You know, like, are you guys familiar with that rhythm or am I the only one who lives that way? <laughs> right? It's definitely just me then. This is obviously a sermon preached directly to me. But, you know, the lack of exposure, it was like suddenly Aaron Baddeley wasn't this, this figure who was in my life or right in front of me anymore. But suddenly he was this thing that was just sort of off to the side in somewhat, somewhat distant memory until, you know, 15 years later I'm talking about him in a church service and I just really haven't thought about him that much since, you know? We have to find ways of, 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 of putting rhythms in place and keeping some of those things connected so that we can continue to move towards that which we were inspired by and in awe of. You know, we have to, there, there has to be a sense of discipline. And so when we talk about passion and purpose, right, when we talk about that thing that is stirred inside of us by awe, we also have to talk about depth and discipline. Because if we want to maintain that sense of passion and purpose, if we want to carry that passion and purpose into everything we do, we have to maintain, it is the depth and the discipline that will maintain it. You see, awe, um, awe necessitates a response, not just of passion and purpose, but of depth and discipline. I think that's one of the things awe does, and it's very easy to get excited about the passion and the purpose, but there's actually an invitation in that moment that... Uh, 
that calls us towards depth and discipline. What am I talking about when I talk about depth? I'm talking about being willing to ask hard questions, being okay with doubt, learning how to embrace the mystery, being okay with not knowing everything. It's like when we talk about God, we're talking about an infinite God, right? And what's fascinating to me is so often we get an idea of God and we put him in this box, and as he functions in this box, that becomes very comfortable, and he kind of works over there off to the side. And then suddenly, something happens in our lives, and that God in that box doesn't work anymore. It's like, well, God, where were you? Or if you were real God, you, would, you wouldn't have let this happen. right? Who's, who's had people in their lives say things like that? Who's said things like that? Just me again. <clears throat> But one of the things about depth, right, is that it takes us deeper into this whole, this whole idea of a, of a bigger, infinite, all-loving God. It's like suddenly you, know, you knew God was loving, but when you, when you invest in that and when you study it, it's like, well, actually, like, like your understanding of His love goes deeper. And when you practice loving and you, and you work on loving people around you who you would never normally love, or you suddenly find yourself becoming married, or you suddenly find yourself becoming a parent, it's like, well, those reveal different things about love and it's like oh I I never considered like love in this way but now that somehow opens up the love of God in a a new way in a more meaningful way as well but there's something about going deeper into the mystery of God and, and embracing the mystery of this thing and being okay sometimes with not having all the answers but knowing that God is with us going deep into the nearness of God trusting the nearness and the closeness of God And there's something about discipline as well. And here's what I'm talking about, discipline. Finding ways of valuing rhythms that will feed your soul. And you know, I think one of the the most tragic truths of our time is that we are more resourced than ever before in church history, yet we are more spiritually impoverished than ever before in church history. And I think one of the things that's difficult is like we're learning to consume information in like a nanosecond, right? Like we live in the Twitter age where it's like, this is how many characters you're allowed to use. And we, and you know, most of the time, like people are looking for like visual images now, like we just want videos, right? Like 30% of all searches on the internet now are like for video content because we just want to receive the information. And it's like, if your video is longer than a minute 30, forget about it. You're never, you've got to be able to get your point across in a minute 30, you know, like we're so used to consuming things and it's like that, that was never how scripture was supposed to be experienced. That was never how a relationship with God was supposed to be experienced. You know, scripture was never even meant to be broken. Man, I've, I've used verses tonight. It was never meant to be broken into verses. It was never meant to be broken into chapters. We're talking about books that were meant to be read, you know, not even books, letters that were meant to be read from start to finish in one go. When was the last time you sat down and you read the Gospel of John in one hit or the letter of Romans in one hit? It's like, man, we read one chapter and we're like, oh, this is so hard, you know, because like we're not used to it. And there are so many brilliant tools out there. And yet we struggle because we're just juggling so many different things and we're so, we're so distracted and we're so drawn to other things and trying to consume information in different ways. There are all these different things going on. But there's something about the depth and the discipline that anchors us and maintains us between those moments of awe and helps keep us moving in our passion and our purpose.
Are you guys with me? A little bit? Okay, good. So we must find ways of stretching and challenging ourselves spiritually in order that we can more fully discover our place in God. And I think that this feeds our passion and our purpose. And if we're able to, to maintain and nurture our passion and our purpose through our depth and our discipline, and we can, and we can then have these moments of awe, if we can somehow, if, if, we, if that can be a rhythm that exists, and it's not like it's a perfect rhythm, but if that can be something that we can value, I think what happens is that we move towards this whole thing of boundless faith and we begin to just become people who are always growing. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about boundless faith. It's not like we ever become perfect Christians. That's not the goal. But we're always growing in who we are and how we respond to the world and how we move towards the things of God. We're always growing in how we love and how we embody peace. We're always growing in how we can best serve and live out as kingdom of God people in our jobs and in our families and in our um, universities and in our schools or whatever. We want to be able to value that sense of awe. We want to be able to nurture our passion and our purpose. And we want to be able to value our depth and our discipline, going deep and being disciplined in, in, in how we respond to God. And so I want to invite you this year, and I want to challenge you guys as a, as a community, as a group of friends, as individuals, to consider the things that you do to keep yourself anchored in your passion and your purpose. Like, what is your passion and your purpose? Is this, is this story of God still something that excites you and captivates you? Or is it something you do because you always did it since that day you were in in a kids' church and you learned about you know, Noah's Ark or something? Or is it a story that continues to unfold and does it, and does it do something inside you? And are you, are you about it? And is it something you want to carry? And is it something you want to wear? And You know? Like, what does the story do to you? What does it stir in, in the depths of your soul? And then, uh, and then on top of that question, I want to ask you, like, what does it look like for you to put some rhythms in place that nurture that passion and that purpose? What does it look like for you to grow? You know, um, there's a couple tools and stuff that I've recommended over the years. I've, I've spoken about Read Scripture before, and um, if you don't know that, you can download the Read Scripture app. But that is like, if you ever want, if you're someone who's like really passionate about, well, if, if you're wanting to be passionate about reading your Bible and understanding your Bible, bar none, this is like the best resource you could ever use. It's got these great videos at the start of every single book. You can have it all on your phone. There's a reading plan if you want a reading, if you want a reading plan. But bar none, the best resource for understanding the historical context, the purpose of the letters, all that kind of jazz. It'll make the Bible like absolutely more interesting if you struggle to understand what it is you're reading when you open it. Right? Bar none, one of the best resources. For me, one of the things I've discovered um, is this new resource called Infinitum, right? which is this one. And if you're someone who isn't so much about trying to understand, <coughs> understand your, your um, Bible per se and trying to understand the context, but you're someone who values some sort of like prayer or if you value conversation and that feels like a way you, you, you learn and grow, I want to recommend this thing. They, um, it's got a, here's what happens every day. You've got an app on your phone. You get a little, a little scripture or a little quote or a little thought or a little prayer or just something that you can think about during the day. 
And then there are, um, there are three prayers that you pray every day. One is for, um, it's, they talk about postures. It's three different postures. So one is a posture of surrender. And so it's just a little prayer that says, you know, I sort of, I give my day to you. There's a, there's a prayer of generosity that says, I want to be open-handed um, to, to the opportunities around me. And there's a prayer of mission, which says, I want to be looking for the ways I can serve others. Right? And it's just this little prayer. But it's like if those three prayers were something you prayed every day for a month, like something would shift and something would change in a month's time, you know? It's like you would discover something else. You would be more anchored in your passion and your purpose. And then the other cool thing about this app is that there's a whole bunch of conversations. And and if you want, you could grab someone and say, hey, let's meet once every second week for a coffee. And let's just chat about some of these things. Let's chat about the story a little bit. You know, there's... Somewhere along the way, like we sort of forgot about these sort of intentional conversations, but like when we have those intentional conversations about our faith, it kind of stirs something in us. So what would that look like for you? Could it be something that would work for you? I mean, it just might be. If you haven't tried it, I would recommend. But what would, what would it look like to be in, re, in relationship with someone who you just catch up with and you're talking about these things and you're talking about what it's stirring inside each of you? That feels like it would be something that would, that would anchor us in a sense of purpose and passion. And so those are just two resources. But like the internet's full of them, right? With more resource than you've ever been before. You can have Word for Today delivered right to your inbox. You can download study Bibles on your phone. You can do all sorts of stuff. There's no rules about how you do it. But what does it look like for you? Is it walking, is it walking listening to a podcast in the bush or getting some, some I don't know, uh, waterproof earphones and listening to a podcast or something while you swim or putting on instrumental music and just praying? I, I don't know. But whatever it is, is it worth investing in to help you connect once more with your passion and your purpose? And so I want to leave that with you. I want to invite you guys towards discovering some some new way of doing faith this year. I want to invite you towards boundless faith. It's not about achieving something. It's not about arriving at this perfect kind of faith. But it is about growing in who we are in God and growing in how we follow God and discovering a richness of life in that process. And man, I think it's worthwhile. I think it is so worthwhile. And so I want to invite you guys to be open to that process. And I want you to invite you to be open to it right now this evening. And so why don't you stand and um, uh, why don't you stand with me? And uh, Elliot, would you, would you mind just closing up in a song? Uh, Maybe that Chris Lava one? Is that all right? <laughs> but I wonder if just in this moment we could, we could be intentional about opening ourselves up to the awe of God. I wonder if we could be intentional about inviting God into this space and inviting God to draw near to each one of us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter where we're at. It doesn't really matter what's going on. All that really matters in this moment is that we know that there is a God who's, who is for us, who loves us and longs to draw close to us in this space. And I wonder if, if, if just in this moment, like that could be enough for each of us 
to lovingly and longingly invite him in. And say, God, would you, would you draw close to me? Would you fill me with awe? Would you stir something? Would you, if, if there's something that feels, I don't know, stale inside or something like that, if there's something that feels a little bit stagnant or a little bit dry, would you invite God to move, to meet you in that place? And so Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come, God.